Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you're here to learn more about God today. I hope you're not here to be entertained. I hope you're not here because you have an agenda or you have some, some ulterior motive that you've got that you, you're hoping to attain by, well, this, that, and the other thing, because I'm going to, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I hope, hope you're not here for any other reason other than to seek the Lord God Almighty and to learn about Him so that you can follow His Word or start to follow His Word. If this is your first time listening to me today, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. I come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches in these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, so if you guys would join me, and let's bless God with our attention and our focus as we speak to Him and as we cry out to Him right now. God, help me to understand the things that you have for me today. Lord God, thank you so much for bringing us here, Lord God. It is no coincidence, Lord God, those that are going to listen, those that are here. For Father God, you're drawing people to yourself, Lord God. You're drawing all men to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is drawing all men to God. And he's drawing all men to himself because he was lifted up, Lord, the Gospel of John. Lord, thank you, Lord God. Thank you for drawing all men. Now I pray, Lord God, as those that have been drawn, those that have responded, Lord, to the drawing of yours, Lord, now I pray now that they're here, now that they're listening, Lord, I I pray, dear God, that they just wouldn't hear these words like, you know, you hear the the Charlie Brown teacher, Lord, in the old cartoons, wah, 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 Lord, I pray we'd hear you, Lord God, like like, like we care about what you say. And that we hang on every word of yours, Lord God, today. And that we would understand, that you would help us understand. Not just the understanding to have more head knowledge, Lord God, but understanding, Lord God, that we would have that head knowledge. And then go out there and put the rubber to the road and do action with what you've told us to do. And that we would be doers of the word, Lord God, not hearers only. Change our lives God, please, in this area, Lord God, those of us that are yours that are listening to this message today. And Lord God, those that are not or have gone off course a little bit, as we'll we'll see what I'm talking about in our sermon today, Lord God, I pray you bring them back. Lord God, bring them back to orthodoxy. Bring them back to just your words. Solo scripture, Lord God in heaven. And help them, again, just to do things your way not by man's doctrines, and not by man's ways. We love you, and we praise you, God, and we thank you, and we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts 9, verses 36 through 43. That's where we're going to be today, Acts 9, again, 36 through 43. But I'm not going to give those, I'm not going to read those words or teach on those words until after my Thoughts from last week's message. In Jesus Christ's name, we will. Remember, Peter is on a kind of a a journey, like a trip to go visit all the churches that are kind of in the country, right? And he stops in on those churches or on the church in Lydda or Lod uh, and seemingly 
seemingly everything is okay. It's just a routine stop. And he was there probably to disciple or train up the elders or, you know, to, hey, here's what's going on in Jerusalem or whatever he was doing. He goes, so he goes out into the town a little, I believe. Anyway, and he starts kind of talking and mingling with the people that are in the town. And, you know, of course, he was a, a man of God, so he loved to talk to people about Jesus. And so he was probably talking to people about Jesus. And he comes across this poor man, this poor disabled man, Aeneas who, again, we, Scripture tells us he was bedridden for eight years, think of it, and the way Scripture des- describes it, Peter doesn't think twice about stepping up and wanting to help the man. He speaks up right away, and he just jumps right into action, and he says, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. And the man gets up immediately. What a powerful, powerful miracle. Then I talked to you about how people, Peter did it in the way that Jesus Christ said in Mark 16, right? Jesus said, in, these, in my name you shall do all of these things, right? And he talked to all his servants from, from that time on and then forevermore till the end of the world comes, even including today. We, those things are still available for us to do today. Plus, I talked about how this type of healing is, of course, unpopular to our contrary belief in many churches today, it uh, is not 100% guaranteed by 100% Christians because, remember, God gives some stipulations in His Word. He said, number one, it has to be my will. And it may not even be just His will just for that moment. It could be His will to do a healing, but it may not be His will to do a healing, but He's got to wait a while. Maybe He's checking on somebody's heart to see what they're going to do or how they're going to act to respond to what He's called them to do. And then we have that God can be glorified in Jesus Christ. That's another stipulation that God said in his word. That's what your prayers have to be. It's got to glorify me in Jesus Christ. And of course, he's also looking for our faith. Do we actually believe? Do we actually believe that God can heal? And do we step out in that belief? And then do we do something and act on that belief? And he's looking for those things. But now... On, despite those stipulations, despite what we know to be God's word, uh, what the Bible gives us on doing miracles through us for God, uh, and so not knowing whether he'll do them through us or not, because again, they're not 100% guaranteed, should that stop us as God's children from doing and laying hands on the sick and the lamed and the maimed and the disabled in Jesus Christ's name for healing? Should that stop us? Because we don't know. Well, well, what if God doesn't do that miracle? Oh, I, don't, I just don't know. Or, or, or what if we're embarrassed because God doesn't do it? Well, what if we're embarrassed and he doesn't do that healing? Like we, we, we said, hey, can I pray for you? God, God may want to heal you or God, God has the opportunity to heal you. And what if he doesn't do it? I mean, uh, what about those thoughts? What about those realities of it not being God's will? Well, you know what I say to those thoughts? You know what I say to those doubting thoughts on those ideas? I say, get behind me in Jesus Christ's name. Christians, didn't, don't you know that Jesus Christ said in John 14, 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And then he goes above that. He doesn't just say, you'll do the same as me. He goes above that and he goes, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Don't you realize he said that? So Christians, no matter if, God's, if it's God's will or not to heal someone, when we lay hands on them in Jesus Christ's name, since we don't know, we're not God, he's God and we're not, I think 
that we ought to try in faith in Christ. I think we ought to try and offer the person the chance at the miracle from God and let God decide if he's going to do that miracle or not. If he says no, and, and so no miracle, then basically you might just have to be embarrassed a little bit. You know, only for the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Well, who's better to be embarrassed for? If God does say no. Who's better to be embarrassed for? There ain't nobody to be embarrassed for better than the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Too many times, Christians, we're too reserved and we're too afraid to step out in faith in Christ because we don't know if God's going to do the miracle. And, and then we don't. And if he doesn't, then, you know, people might make fun of us because of it and, and we may become a reproach to them. But so what? So what? So shame on us for not trying and for trying to escape being a reproach or a scorn to others. Who are we on this earth to serve? Are we on this earth to serve one another? Well, yes, of course, Jesus said we're here. We should serve one another as Christians. But are we on this earth to serve? We're not here to serve as far as our main God, anybody but Jesus Christ. He's the number one person we serve. And Jesus never said serve people to make them happy. He said serve them because you love them. We're here to serve Jesus Christ to make him happy, or at least we should be if we love God. And if we're trying to escape that reproach, we're going against what Peter said in 1 Peter 4.14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Do you know that when people reproach you, it's a blessing on you in God's eyes? Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And on their part, he is blasphemed. See, when they reproach you, hey, they're blaspheming. But on your part, Peter says, God is glorified. Let us be those upon this idea in our lives, guys. Christians, those that love Jesus, let us be those who live abandoned for Jesus Christ. Let us be shameless for the king, like King David, right? Running through the neighborhood. He didn't care who saw. He didn't care how excited he was. People went, wow, he's acting so weird for the Lord. Who cares? Act weird for Jesus Christ, despite the reproach of others and what they might say or what they might think, right? Let's glorify Jesus Christ. Let's be obedient to the word of God no matter what. Because that's why we're here, guys. If we've been born again, if we've been saved, that's why we're here. To love Jesus Christ and to obey his words. Period. The end. All right. Well, I'd love to keep going on that because I'll tell you, I love, that's so exciting to me, right? But we got to start our main message. The title of our message today, Acts 9, 36 43, will be titled, Great Faith. Great Faith faith. So last week we read of God doing a great work through Peter as through him. God healed a bedridden man of eight years. Let's see what happens next. Read these verses with me. 36 through 43, please. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. But when they'd washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the, disciple, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went to them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the windows were shut by him, or excuse me, and all the windows, all the widows stood up by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made, uh, which she or while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. <laughs> Remember that little quote I had from last week? Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Well, after he did last week's miracle, remember the whole city of Sharon, or whole, I'm sorry, the whole city of Lydda, as well as Sharon, the next city or region over, went ablaze for Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that, Sharon, uh, that Lydda and Sharon were all, uh, that they turned to the Lord, right? Uh, this absolutely, his last miracle caused a huge uproar for Sharon. And Sharon, if you're not not aware, I may have mentioned it last, last week, is 30 miles from Lydda or Lod. And in those days, of course, 30 miles was a lot farther than 30 miles of today, right? And the news still spread of what Peter did last week with the bedridden man, 30 miles, think of it. It's no wonder why God uses and does miracles to get people's attentions, right? Really, miracles bring a lot of attention and bring a lot of people to Jesus Christ. News of them and details of them usually spread far and wide and they spread fast. They usually do. So as this powerful news traveled some 30 miles to go to Lydda, from Lydda to Sharon, it could certainly travel 15 miles, which is how far Lydda is from Joppa is where we pick up Peter today. Today in our text, we read of how this news of the healing of the bedridden man travels 15 miles away where God uses Peter in a humongous, humongous way. How does God use Peter? Look at verses 36 and 37 again. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Pretty self-explanatory. There's a follower of Christ in Joppa, Tabitha, Dorcas, and she was faithful servant to Jesus Christ. The scripture says that she was full of good works and charitable deeds. You know, it's not in my notes, but God just strikes me with it. What a testimony to have amongst the brethren of you. Let, think of yourself. Do you, as a faithful servant of Christ, do you have that testimony amongst those other Christians that know you, amongst those in the world? Would they say of oh, John or Mary or, or Leonard or, or Nathan or Bob or you know, Jerry or Larry, wow, that man is full of good works. For the Lord, because this Lydda or this uh, Dorcas Tabitha here, the other people had this testimony of her. I thought of that the other day, just myself. I was just driving along, and I was thinking of that. When I die, what will people say of me? Well, they say, "Man, that Ed, well, he was full of good works, and he really loved the Lord." Or will people just say, "Oh, yeah, Ed, he died." Think of that. 
That's, that's something that really struck me the other day. But anyway, this lady, back to Tabitha Dorcas, she was, her by all the other people's admissions, which there's no stronger testimony, but other people's admissions, she was full of good works and charitable deeds. And unfortunately, as the scripture says, she, uh, as sometimes happens, she gets sick. Or she got sick, right? I mean, people get sick. It happens to the best, best of people. It happens to the best of the children of God. As we even read here, that it happened to one of God's truly faithful children, Tabitha. And, and obviously, this wasn't no summer cold, right? This wasn't just like a little cough or a little you know, congestion. Uh, unfortunately, this sickness caused her to die. It caused her demise. Now, there's a couple huge things to see here in these two verses. Number one, verse 37, it says this. Now it happened in those days. Now when I've read that over for years, what I always read over when I read over that for years is I've read kind of like, you know, it just so happened kind of in those days. You know, this thing happened. It just, you know, just happened, you know. And, and to that I'd say, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the days that Peter just so happened to be in the area, you know, only 15 miles away, and God was not only, he wasn't just there, but God was moving through him in a mighty way to heal, draw lots of people to Christ because of the healing he did. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, this was no coincidence. If you think it was, I believe you're sadly mistaken. You see, remember, Tabitha was a true child of God after all. And the Bible says of God's true children, remember, oh, I don't know, that verse that I just talked about for the last two weeks in a row before this, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, which means that if you're really a child of God, nothing can happen to you outside of God's will, nothing. He either allows it or he stops it, or an if, and if he allows it, it's for good. As we see here, we know here that this thing was good, right? That happened to Tabitha, even though, oh, Pastor Ed, she died. Well, yeah, that's all right, but that's okay. So I believe it was for good, right? So I believe the Bible's telling us here that God set up this whole situation. It was no coincidence, no coincidence at all. Tabitha gets sick, sure. As sometimes everybody gets sick, right? But I know for sure that both she and those around her were praying for her to get well. Right? I mean, what do we do now? If we're in a church or we know Christians are on Facebook, right, in our communities and we hear of somebody getting sick, what do we always say? Hey, brother, man, oh, so-and-so is sick. Man, can you, can you pray for her? Can you pray? So the, people, same then. Christians still love then. Christians love now. So I know she was praying. Her other disciples around her were praying. They're probably going, Lord, she was a faithful servant. Don't let her die. Please, Lord, don't let her die. Same as again, any loving, beloved saint would pray for a beloved sister or brother that got sick today. But God chose not to heal her. It's just as simple as that. Why? Well, he had a plan. The same plan, believe it or not, because he is the same God yesterday, today, as, in t as, tomorrow, as he will be tomorrow. The same plan as he had with Jesus Christ and Lazarus. Remember John 11, 1 through 15, it says this. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. We have a similar situation. Same thing. Lazarus was a man of God. His sisters knew the Lord. Jesus loved Lazarus, we know the scripture says. The town of Mary and her sister mother. Verse 2. It was that Mary, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So Jesus knew him. He was a follower of Christ. They send to him, God help. 
He's sick. We want healing for him. Please come and heal him. But verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Hmm. That sounds familiar. Heal, prayers of healing or prayers for, from God are to glorify the Father in the Son. That sounds familiar. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he went right away and he healed Lazarus in the end of the story. <laughs> so when he had heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So notice, Jesus stayed purposely. He waited two more days after he heard it was sick. What? Why, what, what? Wouldn't a loving Savior go right away? No. A loving Savior waited two days. And after he said this, verse 7, the disciples said, let us go to Judea again. Right? Eight. Then the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because of the light is not in him. These things he said, and after he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to him that I may wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, so get well. Our Jesus spoke to him of his death. But they thought he was speaking to him about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So he purposely waited until God spoke to him or he was looking at the situation because God can do that. God can see places that he's not. He can choose to do that if he so chooses. He looked ahead. He's all, Lazarus dead. Hey, Lazarus dead. Let's go. And look what he says, verse 15, because this is the key. This is a key. And it's a key for not only with Jesus with Lazarus, but it's also a key with Dorcas and or Tabitha and the disciples and Peter. Verse 15. And I'm glad. What? You're glad that Lazarus is dead? Yeah. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That what? You may believe. He purposely waited so that they could see the miracle that he was going to do and then believe in him. He said, nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, did you notice? This is a situation we see, what are you doing, God? But God had a purpose. What was that purpose again? Number one, that God would be glorified in Jesus Christ, and also that Jesus Christ would be glorified, right? And the other huge reason, that I, verse 15, I'm glad for your sakes that I was out there, that you may believe. Same thing we talked about last week. The stipulations on healing, what, why God heals. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? And this is the same stuff that I talked to you about last week and the main reasons for miracles, right? So I, again here today, we got this situation here with Tabitha, right? I believe that God set this whole situation up so that the same situation as with Lazarus could happen with Peter and Dorcas. Isn't God so good? Isn't God so good? He never changes. Unlike our world, which always changes for evil, right? It always changes for bad. It's always getting worse, right? God is good. He never changes for evil. In fact, he's always good. Praise God. He's always good. And praise him for he set up this whole situation with Tabitha, not making her sick, okay? It says she got sick, but where God stepped in was he didn't step in. Same way with Jesus and, and, and Lazarus. He didn't step in right away 
that is, right? He didn't step in. So that why? So that the supernatural miracle healing could happen with Jesus and Lazarus then and with Peter and Dorcas now. And so that what? So that God could be glorified and so that people could see and turn to him. That's what God's about. 2 Peter 3, 9, God's about getting people to turn to him. And he wants people to turn to him. It's the kind of God he, he is. We already know by verse 42 that because of this miracle, many people turn to Jesus Christ. So God is good and he wants to save people. He loves people so much. He loves people so much. He desires to draw us to him. And and what do people do so much? (laughs) They run away. They run and they run and they run and they run and they run. God, please break their legs, Lord, so they can't run no more. God, please. But he's so good because he tries and tries and tries and, and he does it any way he can. He tries to get our attention. Any way and every way he can, he gets our. He tries to get our attention. All right, well, anyway, back to Scripture. Uh, so God sets up the whole situation, I see biblically. Uh, it, the total parallel, Jesus and Lazarus, right? For the miracle to happen, but that's not the only humongous thing that we see here. The other humongous thing, verse 37. This one, when God showed it to me, I had never seen this before. I've been studying the Bible for 17 years, almost 18 years. I had never seen this before. Verse 37, again, some details I mentioned from last week. One of the stipulations for healing to happen. See if you can guess what it is when I read it. Look what the disciples do with Tabitha. Last part of 37. So she died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. What? She died? And they washed her body? And they put her in a bed in an upper room? Don't you think that that's a little strange? Don't you think that that's a little weird uh, from the human perspective? I sure do. I mean... uh, When somebody dies, what do you do? (laughs) You don't wash them up and put them in a bed. You wash them up or you don't do nothing. You call the morgue. You call the the mortician. You call a doctor. And you say, hey, somebody died. Come on over here and get them. I mean, that's what normal people do when people die, whether today or back then, right? Uh, And then what happens is is when people die, they wash them up. They, They usually back then would put you know, fragrant perfumes on, they'd stitch their eyes shut, tie their legs together, put them in a box, put them in the ground, and that's what normal people do. And most times, I I believe that close relatives and family members did not do this stuff, right? This is what you call the professionals for, the people that are paid to kind of do this weird kind of sick to me kind of thing, but praise God we got them, but this is what they're paid to do, right? But, But here, Tabitha, her personal friends and her family in the faith of Christ. Oh, she died. Oh, well, let's give her a bath and let's go put her in the bed upstairs. Well, let's let's do that. Are you kidding me? This is not normal protocol for her situation. Uh, but we do know why they did it. We do know because Scripture tells us one of the huge factors I discussed last week to answered prayer, especially for healing. Why did they do it? Because they had great faith. They had great faith in a healing from God. So their great faith leads them to take a great or humongous step of faith and wash Tabitha themselves, wow, while she's dead, think about it, within like an hour or two, the body's stiff. 
That's when you read the stages of death. That's what within an hour or two, a dead body is stiff and they're washing her while she's stiff. Think of it. Oh, I can't even imagine. Right. And, and then they take her upstairs because it says he was in an upstairs bedroom and they lay her themselves on the bed uh, after she's dead. Wow. Now, now with all human reasoning, this was like out there. These, I, I mean, seriously, people could look at this today and go, dude, this is a cult. What are they going to do? Are they going to cut her open and bleed her and start, you know, feeding her to the animals? Or, or what the heck's going on here? This is weird because this is crazy. Why not call a doctor, call a mortician, get the thing started and go? They didn't because they had great faith that although they had kept praying, although they had prayed for her not to die, they knew Peter was a little while over and he wasn't too far from there and, and they knew it and, and they were hoping and willing to step out in great faith, great faith and say, no, we're, we're going to give God one more chance to heal this woman. I, we're not going to let her go. She's a great godly woman. God's got to do something here. We're going to do something. We're going to do something big. We're not going to call the doctor. We're not going to call the mortician. I'm sure there were even Christians there going, what are you, what, we're going to do What? We're going to do what? We're going to not cut. We're going to not start the, the, the burial. Pro what? We're going to wash her. She, I got to touch her. She's dead. She's stiff already. What? But they did because they had great faith. Look what else their great faith leads them to do. Look at verse 38. And since Lydda was near Joppa, Again, 15 miles away, which wasn't, which wasn't an hour trip for them or a five-minute trip for them. That was a, you know, if you think you walk, you know, I don't know, 10-minute 10 10 minute miles. You know, this was a long, this was a while. And, and who knows what time of the day this happened. How, who knows how long she had been dead. And the disciples heard that Peter was there. They heard of the supernatural miracle that, Peter, that God did through Peter, that is. And they, and they have great faith. And so they sent two men to him imploring him not to delay coming to them. They heard of uh, Peter's recent miracles. And, and instead of calling a doctor or a mortician to start the burial, they chose to have great faith in God. And, and again, although they had already prayed and asked God to heal her, they give God even another chance by calling for God's main man, Peter, in great faith. They don't know for sure that God's going to heal her, but they got hope and they believe. And so they're calling, God help in the hope that Jesus Christ will bring Peter to Tabitha and bring her back to life. What great faith. And so I said last week, I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week, Christians, we must step out in great faith for healings from God. We must, because the Bible said, Jesus Christ said, Mark 16, it would follow us. He said it. We got to do it. And I'll say this week, we must have great faith and give God the chance to do something huge in the healing department. We have to step out and go out on a limb and say, God, I know you can. I know you can, God. I'm, I'm like David with his little boy. God had already told him your little boy from Bathsheba was going to die. But did that stop David from praying? He even heard from the master. He's not going to make it. Yet he still fasted and prayed and wouldn't eat and shut himself up in a room asking and pleading with God to please heal her. Because you know what? You know what he knows? He knows God's merciful. Amen. 
And, and a merciful God, we, we've seen it in Scripture, He has relented from doing things when we've cried out to Him enough. He has relented and done things, right? And, and, and these people knew that. They knew the Scriptures. They were godly people. And they stepped out on a limb. And they just were faith-filled Christians with here with Dorcas. And, and what, what is faith with God? <laughs> What is faith with God? Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and listen to this, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, Jesus said, seek and you shall find. <laughs> the Bible says, diligently seeking God is even great, even makes God smile even all the more. And what is diligently seeking? Seeking means that we just don't give up the first time we lift up a cup and go, oh, it's not there, you know, I guess that's it. Seeking means that we really, you know, we try to look around and we're sweeping. You know, the lady lost the coin in the parable, right? We're turning on the lights, we're moving furniture, we're sweeping, and we're trying to find that thing. Diligently seeking? Basically, that's David until the boy died. You're not giving up, God. I'm not going to give up, God, on asking you for this thing that I really think that you will, but I'm not sure. But I'm going to really diligently seek you for it because I know that you can. I know that you can. I know. And only diligently seek God, those that only diligently seek God that have great faith. You may not know whether it's God's will or not to do a healing or to answer a prayer of yours or, or, or whatever, right? You may not know uh, if you're asking for a healing for yourself or for a sick mother or whatever. But you know this. You know this. You know that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's, that's what you know. So what I say, according to the Bible, I say, have great faith and seek him for that healing and ask him and pray and lay hands on people or yourself bodily in Jesus Christ's name. And I say again, like I said in my overview, let God be God. Let be God, God be God and let God do whatever God's going to do, whatever's good in his eyes. Uh, so uh, these fellow brothers and sisters in, uh, of Tabitha have sought God for her healing to no avail. While they prayed for her, she died. Well, but they still don't give up. They, they don't give up. They step out in great faith, and they take her and wash her, and they don't bury her. Uh, then they take a humongous step of faith and call for God's main man, Peter, to see if God will work through his hands to give life to this dead saint. They think about it. God, God showed me this, this kind of stuff when I was doing the sermon. They lay her in a bed of stairs. Uh, and by the way, she's already going through the stages of death, like I mentioned earlier. But by this time now, by the time Peter got there... 15 miles, it, you know, they let him know it could have been, we don't know, Scripture doesn't say he was there in an hour, right? What we know is that uh, within hours, right, the body's already starting to decompose. The body's already decomposing within hours. And yet, they, they, knew, they knew even with Lazarus, he, she's going to start smelling. But no, God's, God can do it. Let's, let's try. So this was a great step of faith. At least with Lazarus, God showed me this. He was in a tomb. He was all wrapped up. <laughs> Nobody could smell him in there, right? And he was away from society. Tabitha was in a bed in an upstairs room, in a house where people lived there. And yet they still went out on a limb and, and made a great stand of faith and said, No, we're God, please.
always, we're going to do everything we can. How does God reward their great faith? In seeking him diligently. I would say, if I'd say anybody diligently sought God, I'd say these people diligently sought God in this one. Uh, I, I, that's what I'd say. Just like David with his little child, the Bathsheba's kid, I'd say that these people diligently sought God too. Uh, look at verses 39 through 41. Then Peter arose when he heard, and he went with them when he had come. They brought him to the upper room, and, and all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments with Dorcas, uh, who made while she was with them. Verse 40, but Peter put them all out. Why? Why did P- Peter put them all out? Well, of course, he had to concentrate. And that's number one. You can't just be, oh, I'm just going to just whimsical this one. Oh, you know, Lord, oh, wait, I wonder what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Lord, would you just you know, kind of heal this? No. You got to concentrate. You got to focus. You got to, you know, God, please meditate. Lord, please, God, get your mind totally on God. And of course, with all the people there completely out of control with the way that they were acting, right? Uh, you know, they, uh, he couldn't have concentrated. And number two, there may have been, in fact, they may have already accepted the fact that she was dead and they might have not believed that she could come back to life. And we know that when Jesus was in his hometown, he couldn't do many miracles because of what? Because of unbelief. So he had to put them outside because he needed to have concentration and, and to get out of the room. Any, any unbelief, because unbelief's not going to heal nobody. Right. Belief's not going to 100% heal somebody, guaranteed, because it's got to be God's will and all. We already know all that. But unbelief ain't going to help. Unbelief ain't going to help. So Peter puts them all out. And what did he do? He knelt down and he prayed. And I would say, knowing uh, Peter and his work with the bedridden man, Alida, that he prayed to God in Jesus Christ's name for this woman's healing. And of course, what do we see in Scripture? He prayed, and what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened immediately. Nothing was seeming to happen immediately. But then he doesn't give up either. (laughs) Peter was a diligent seeker of God too. So what does he do? Look at the rest of the verse. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. So his prayer, he didn't see she was still living when he prayed. So what does he do? He doesn't, again, he doesn't give up. He turns to the body and says, Tabitha, get up. I I command you, Tabitha, get up right now. Uh, And what happened? She opened her eyes. There now she lives. Peter doesn't give up. He diligently sees God. Now she opens her eyes. And when what? She saw Peter. She sat up. Uh, right then he gave him his hand and lifted her up and and when he had called the saints and widows back in he presented her alive remember just like what i said last week i mentioned it earlier right uh when 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 god or when god's disciples heal people they stood up right when the so-called ungodlies of the world today did do their healing they touch people and they fall down ouch god is up or down god is up Who's down? Well, where do we, where's the representation of hell, even in the Bible? Down. Interesting analogy there, isn't it? God just gave me that. Uh, but with Peter, Tabitha lives again. What a miracle. There aren't too many times, by the way, in the Bible that we read of somebody that heals somebody, but bringing them back to life. There's just a few people. Peter is in a really uh, elite class of, of miracle workers that does this miracle. I, I, just less than a handful of people, biblically, actually rose somebody from the dead. So this wasn't a given miracle because, again, this didn't happen very often. Right, And it was a result of this work, of uh, uh, this healing God does through Peter. Look at our last two verses. In, in one of them, it's just 
again, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Look at verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. What's God's, like, almost number one desire with a healing? We know the number one for sure is that he's glorified in Christ. And the other one, God's desire response, people turn to Jesus. This is what God wants. Again, 2 Peter 3.9, God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance, right? And what does Peter do after people are turning to the Lord? And probably he is now more famous than he's ever been ever before. Uh, he goes out and accepts all their praise and all their glory and becomes a millionaire and gets a Learjet. Oh, oh, sorry. That's, 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 that's the... That's the Bible that people are reading today. I'm sorry. Hold on. Verse 43. Let me get back to the Bible. Verse 43. So it was, you could say after the miracle, that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Hmm. There's no healing service. There's no dancing a jig before the altar or around the city. There, there's no, uh, you know, there, P- Peter doesn't uh, have a parade Peter doesn't take up a collection from the people. He, he doesn't go get on his Learjet and fly to his mansion. It sits on 500 acres worth 2.5 million. Peter, what? What does he do? Peter simply goes back to living his simple, godly, Christ-centered lifestyle, continuing to serve Jesus Christ as Lord, not just a head belief. And he goes to a friend's house. Now, now this friend is very interesting. Simon the Tanner. It wasn't Simon the Millionaire. It was Simon the Tanner, and in case you don't know what a tanner is, a tanner is a working-class tradesman who takes dead animals' skin and he tans them till they become leather. What an interesting trade. I'll guarantee that religious leaders and Pharisees and the high priest, I'm pretty sure probably they wouldn't really have anything to do with a guy like this. He, he wasn't a, kind of like a fisherman. He was on the low end of the spectrum. Think, think about dead animals and their skin. What's the next thing you think of? Oh, I don't know, smell. Right? We talked about Dorcas and Tabitha dying and the smell that comes with dying. Right? So Peter, this famous man, this great healer of God. Right? What is it? He goes to a, a house of people that people stay away from because it smells. Wow. And, and of course, he, he's staying there many days because he's away from the church in Jerusalem and his home. If he still even has one anymore because Jesus called him away, right? And he left everything, the Bible says, and went and followed Christ, right? Since he was elected as one of Christ's 12 apostles. I'd say, looking at Peter, this is pretty humble, <laughs> pretty simple, uh, pretty godly and pure actions. Amen? Uh, it's pretty simple, right? No extravagance, no excess, no pride. You see, sadly today, too many people throughout our more recent times have profited off of and become, well, let's just be honest, filthy, stinking rich because of their supposed healing abilities, right? And that's because, of course, they are frauds. Of course, they're imposters. And they're pretending to be men and women of the faith, but they're not really. Uh, They do their pretend miracles and and teach their false prosperity gospel. And because of it, they attain Learjets and mansions, plural, and exotic sports cars and expensive luxury cars and yachts and mega churches that are city blocks long and wide with thousands of thousands of members that they're tithing these millions of dollars a year. And of course, they have these six-figure incomes 
And, and they're multi-multi-millionaires because of their so-called healing. If it's biblical, according to the new covenant that Christ brought in by the shedding of his precious blood, just do this one thing for me, please. Just open up your Bible and read it to me. That's all I want you to do. If what they do today is biblical, according to the Bible in the New Testament, just show it to me. Just, just, just show me one verse. Peter was a multimillionaire superstar. Uh, maybe not in the Bible that I read. But I'll guarantee you, you could probably have a Bible made that'll say it. Because I don't know what Bible these people are reading. Because it ain't the NKJV or the KJV that I read today. The 66 books today, right? Uh, when I examine the 12 apostles of Christ, plus the disciples that we've studied on the last few weeks in this church. Dorcas, Tabitha, Stephen... Let's just think about these people. Philip. Let's think about what kind of lifestyle these guys had. Well, as God said go, they just went. They just got up and went, left everything behind, went just, you know, just went off, whatever. Hey, I'm trusting you for God for everything, right? Uh, <laughs> but when you examine these people in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, right, I, I don't see these people that we read here in the Bible, I don't see them leaving, living like the preachers of today. I just don't see it. Uh, biblical apostles, disciples, didn't live a bankroll lifestyle. They just, they just didn't. Uh, and sadly, as a result of these so-called men and women of God and their actions in the area of healings and their teachings on healings and prosperity, many, all capital letters, many people have been hurt. Many people have been damaged. Many people, and the worst part about it, and this is what goes completely, this is how I know it's a, it's a doctrine of the devil, right? God healed people to bring them to Christ. The people that do the things that I see, what they do now, people get disgusted with God and they turn away from God because they think, wow, how could this be God? I mean, oh my gosh, these people, they're, they're, they're living in mansions while, they're, while, they're, while, they're shep, while their flocks are, 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 are middle class to poor and they've got nothing. I remember a young lady back in the day, a, a cousin of mine had fallen into the prosperity gospel and, and um, one of the ladies of the church that he went to fell ill and, and something happened with her leg and, and they were like thinking because of the sickness that she had, I think they fought it down. This happens a lot when you get sick and they fight the infection, the infection will go to a limb of your body or something and then of course they got to then fight that infection in that limb or something. It happened with my dad when I was young too. Well anyway, this lady it was calling people in from the uh, church and, and they were saying, well you know, uh, you know we're going to pray over you and, and they were because it was right at the point they were, if you, this infection doesn't go away we're gonna to have to amputate your leg or from the knee down or something and it was something crazy like that some radical thing but it was but it would save her life and i'll tell you i'd rather be minus a leg and live than have than die still have my leg right i mean you know just saying so these people came into the to the hospital they prayed for her nothing happened and she had to give her leg amputated and oh hey praise god she still got her life but but the people of the church said, well, you just didn't have faith, so that's why you weren't healed. And it, she almost committed suicide. She almost committed suicide. She, she was completely devastated because I, did, I didn't have enough faith to get healing. And, oh my, and then their church, in their church, in their prosperity main gospel church, this is what, if you, you had faith or else kind of thing. 
And so this doctrine has destroyed people's lives, right? And, and speaking, I hate to say this and say it the way it is, but uh, in speaking of these types of false and ungodly and evil pretenders that I speak to you of today, Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 2, because of whom the way of truth is blasphemed. And with that lady and with other cases I've heard, the way of truth in God has become blasphemed. Right? Many have been damaged, hurt, driven away from God. Sadly, these people that I talked to you about, they preach a different gospel. And their gospel, their God is money. Their God is authority. Their God is power and the material things of the world and not Jehovah and not Jesus Christ of the Bible. People be warned. God will not be mocked and he doesn't play games. We can't force God to heal by our faith and and he does know our heart. I hear so many people say that, oh, God knows my heart. Well, he does and you know that and you better be scared about that. Because you know why? The Bible says our hearts are wicked. So the fact that God knows your heart, watch out. You better ask him to purify and take all evil things out of you like David did because he does know your heart. Uh, uh, but anyway, watch out. And, and, and if you are this way, and if you are, let's say, watching or you're part of these kind of congregations or supporting these false preachers or, or for them, just stop it. Don't do it. They're dangerous. Get away from them. They're not of Jesus Christ because, again, I'll say it, I said it before, I'll say it again. If what they preach and what they teach is biblical, New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus Christ coming, just show it to me in the New Testament of the Bible, please. Please. I've been through the New Testament right around 22 to 25 times because although I've been through the Bible about 17 times, I wanted to learn how to become a Christian. So what do you do to learn how to become a Christian? You read Christ's writings and you read the followers of Christ's writings. So I've been through the New Testament 22 to 25 times and yet I've never seen anything like what these people teach. But I do know this, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little. Just a little. Uh, If you believe that Christians are supposed to be wealthy, and have an excess of things of the world because, well, you, you know that it's part of the new covenant with Christ. Or, 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 or here's another one that I heard just the other day from a guy that I work with. How, how are people supposed to believe in Jesus Christ and come to Jesus Christ if they see you and you're not rich and wealthy and you got a lot of stuff? What kind of representation does that give them of your God? Who's going to want to turn to Jesus Christ when they see you, you know, this or that and the other thing? And I said, sir, uh, show it to me in the Bible. He he couldn't. He switched subjects, as people always do when you ask them to prove something to you. And they can't because people just say lots of things just because they say them. this, my friends, my, 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 my brothers and sisters of Christ, anybody that may be listening to me, this teaching I'm talking about today is a false and anti-cross doctrine because it's not found in the New Testament Bible. It's not found under the New Covenant, guys. It's not. But what we do read in the New Covenant, under the New Covenant, is Romans 2.4, and it says that it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance, not how much money you have. Or not how little money you have. Or not how middle money you have. Or not the stuff you have. It's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. And where in the world do you get this this crap of prosperity for all Christians and guaranteed healings when you read things like Matthew 10, 16-23, Jesus speaking to his disciples and so to all followers of his from then on. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Wow. Where's the prosperity in that? 
not financial. It may gain a lot for the kingdom of heaven if you're murdered and martyred for the Christ, but it's, you're not getting rich, right? Therefore, he says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you. That means beat you mercilessly uh, in their synagogues. 18, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about what you say or what you speak because you got millions of dollars and you can afford it. And I'm sorry, I got to get back to our Bible now, the, the New King James here. For it will be given to you what in that hour you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. 21. Now brother will deliver a brother to death. Wow. Did you just hear that? I would take that in the context since it's of his Christian brother and that he's talking to right now, that that's brother in Christ will deliver up brother in Christ. You could easily see that there. Because we know that uh, just like Judas, right? What did Judas do? He delivered up his master, his own master, right? Jesus said that's going to happen to us. And a father is child, and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you, he doesn't say anything about wealth or prosperity or health or anything, but you will be hated for my name's sake. Wow. Those are the New Testament promises that Jesus Christ gives to his children. Those, my friends. But he ends, though. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. So Christians are people for heaven's sake. Come on and get real. Guaranteed 100% healings, strong arming God to give you that healing and, and, and teaching that God's kids will, will never have an ailment or be in pain or they'll never suffer or to say that we're all supposed to be wealthy and, and that by our wealth people will see how great Jesus Christ is and turn to him. Show it to me in the Bible, please. Anywhere, if it's real, read your Bible, show it to me if it's real. Just one place. Just one place. Because I just showed you multiple where it goes against that. Show me one place where it's for these things that you say or that people believe and all this junk that's out there that's turning people away from Christ, not bringing people to Christ. Wow. That's enough of that nonsense. I'm not going to speak on that no more today. I want to close, though, today to those whom are truly striving to live a godly life in Jesus Christ. Those whom desire to be close to the Savior and whom strive to be obedient to do the things that he said that we should do. I want to close to you now. In closing about the healings that will follow those whom believe, that have faith in Jesus Christ, those that are born again, as we saw with Peter in the last two messages upon the last two sections of Scripture that we've studied, I want to say this with the godly biblical slant. There's a human slant to the Bible. It's called eisegesis, if you're wondering. And then there's the godly slant to the Bible. It's called exegesis. You just take out of the Scriptures what they say. But I want to say this with the godly slant. God really threw this on my heart in my closing for this message. Far too long, for far too long in America, and I, and I know Africa at least, not, I'm not sure about other countries, I, I dare not speak about things I don't know, as Paul says, the idea of laying hands on someone or praying for or over someone who is sick, lame, diseased, in Jesus Christ's name for their healing, with the real expectation that God can heal them, well, that idea has been distorted. It's been hijacked. It's been abused. It's been misrepresented by ungodly, unchristlike 
people that are pretenders, that they're pretending that they love Jesus Christ. Uh, but <laughs> Mark 16, 17 and 18, Jesus said of those that are truly his, and these signs will follow those who believe, right? We're going to cast out demons. We're going to speak in new tongues. We're going to take up serpents. And if we drink anything deadly, they're not going to hurt us, or it's, nothing's going to hurt us, and by no means uh, it's not going to hurt us. And we're going to lay our hands on the sick, and they will recover. Christians, forget about the hijackers. Forget about the hijackers, okay? This stuff is stuff that Jesus Christ said that we could do. I've done it. God's done it through my hands. Through more than just one time, or to more than just one person and more than one time. God's done it to me. So I don't care about these hijackers. I don't care about what you heard about, well, all the gifts of the apostles, well, they passed when the apostles died, you know, and we can't do those things anymore. Well, I guess then I don't know how I'd do them because I guess I must have the power then. I got nothing. I'm just a flawed human being striving to follow Jesus Christ with all my heart. But yet I've done them. So forget about, forget about all these hijackers. Real Christians, we can't expect these miracles will happen. Jesus Christ just said that they would. Come on now. Come on. Right? Why don't we expect them more? Why don't we do them more? Why? Because we're believing the lie. We're believing the lie. We're believing, and I did it for years. Well, all those false preachers do it. So, you know, if I go to do it, people are just going to think the same thing. Who cares? You make sure they know. Hey, this is not a guarantee because, hey, you know, it may not be God's will. You know, you may not be right with God. I don't know, but all I know is that God says that I could do these things, that they will happen through me. So would you mind, please, can we have faith in God? I'd love to pray for you to see if God will heal you. Why? Why shame on us for not doing these things? Shame. Shame, 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 shame. Listen, Christians, if Peter didn't have great faith in Christ's words in Mark 16, then he would have never gone to the bedridden man in Acts 9. He would have never been healed. And as that scripture told us, many would have not turned to the Lord in Lydda and Sharon. Had he not been obedient, many people wouldn't gotten saved. Do you want to stand before God one day? And he's, well, you know, my son, I, I was leading you to do that, but you just say, ah, no. I wanted to save a whole bunch of people then. But because of you, I had to go and try another way. Come on. And if Tabitha's fellow disciples hadn't had great faith in what Jesus Christ said in Mark 16, and they hadn't taken a great step of faith, and laid her in that bed, even while she was decomposing after she died, not giving up on her even but after their prayers were not answered and ca calling God's man Peter, giving God the stage to do a major life-changing miracle once more, Tabitha wouldn't have lived again and Acts 9.42 wouldn't have happened and it became known throughout all Joppa and the many who believed on the Lord wouldn't have believed on the Lord for salvation because he didn't have faith and he didn't step out there in great faith to do what God told him that he could do. So, to all my true and faithful born-again believers out there that are abiding in Jesus Christ and not sin, that are listening to me, to this message today, I think God wants us to have great faith in our lives. 
as these saints we read about, we've read about two weeks, ago, two weeks in a row, right? And I think he wants us to take humongous steps of great faith and go out on a limb for him and be faithful to practice what Jesus Christ said would happen to those that were truly his, Mark 16. I think he wants us to lay hands on and pray for and over those who are sick and lame and diseased and whatever of our day and let God be able to have a chance to be God. We got to give God the chance to be God and do what's right in his own eyes and it's always going to be good. If he heals them because it's his will and it glorifies them in Jesus Christ and God sees that you have great faith being obedient to his words, then it'll be so. And just maybe we can have some multitudes turning to the Lord and believing upon him for true salvation today as we read of what happens in the Bible. Don't we want today what happened in the Bible? I do. I do. I want it all over the world. I want the, the, the revival and the revelation and the miracles. I want everything that the Bible said happened. I want that to happen today. And I believe that it can. But I also believe that God's calling you and me and you and you and you and you out there all over the world to step out in great faith and believe that God can do these things and that you should step out in great faith and do those things. But, you know, as I said, that shouldn't stop us, no matter whether God does it or not. And if we're made a reproach of people or people think, oh, well, I, you know, I didn't get healed because, of, well, then so what? Again, so what? So people look at us, oh, well, that guy, well, so what? Hey, I made a fool of myself for Jesus Christ. Again, there's no greater person or being in the whole, all existence to be a fool for and be greater to be a fool for Jesus Christ. Wow. Let us be those who live in abandon and let us live shameless for Christ, like King David, and just follow whatever he called us to do. Let us turn back to true godly healings. Let us take them back from the fakers and the ungodly who do it for gain. Amen. Let us do that. Let Forget about them. Amen. Let us do it to give God glory because we're real, right? And let's ignore those who say that, well, healings, oh, well, they're, they're, they're working of the Holy Spirit. And, oh, you know, that went away with the disciples. You know, that, that's, that's not for us today. Come on, guys. They're mistaken. Jesus Christ said to follow, that those that would follow him, those that would believe in him, uh, that stands for what he says, those things would follow. That means we can expect them today. Come on, guys. Come on, Christians. Let's do it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, Lord God, for what you tell us to do, Lord God. I, now I just pray, Lord God, for, forget about all, you know, all, all the non-essentials, Lord God. Just help us to do the things that you told us to do. Please. Help us to just do them. Who I, I, I've already been faced up with, with a couple times that I've not done the things you've told me to do here when I, when I could have. And, and Lord God, I, Jesus, I don't help us to be unashamed for you. Help us to not have a... Who cares what people think if the healing happens or if it doesn't? Let's have great faith and believe upon it. Lord God, help us to do that and help us to be not just those who say the things, but do the things as well too. God, thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. And help us to be doers of that word, Lord God, not just hearers only. Thank you, Lord God. And we ask these things, that you would fulfill these things in our hearts, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.
Amen.